Asshole Cord is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Remember that one skank from high school that slept around a good bit, wound up being a stripper, popped out a kid or two, and unfortunately got hooked on drugs real bad? Odds are you're thinking of one right now. But what are the odds that said skank would wind up being a legit rock star, marrying one of the world's most famous musicians at the time, and piling up a net worth of over 100 million bucks? That's what happened to this show's subject, Courtney Love. Love was rocking a pretty decent musical career and then married Nirvana frontman and fellow lover of heroin, Kurt Cobain, which put her in the spotlight for years to come. How she handled the fame and fortune is what landed her in our courtroom today. Love graced the covers of magazines with her band, Hole, and was also the top story on shows like TMZ far too often for batshit crazy antics that had her in hot water for a lot of the 90s and early 2000s. Like the super freak Rick James said, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Well, if you throw in fistfuls of pills, liquor, heroin, and tons of money, you can see how the train might come off the tracks very easily. But was Courtney really the junkie that many have made her out to be? Was there something in her childhood that might have gotten the party started earlier than it should have? Throw on some guy liner, put on those baggy ripped jeans, hang your parents the middle finger, and enjoy the Courtney Love episode of Asshole Court. All right, boys, let's get some pre-show scores for Courtney Love. Okay, so I am obviously aware of who she is. We grew up in this time, you know, obviously we were Nirvana fans growing up. And there is something about her that is just inherently gross to me. Like, I feel like... That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, there's something yeah. about her where I'm just like, that bitch needs to take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> like, she I can't, looks like she smells through the TV. Yes, yes, yeah. There's certain, same thing with like Christina Aguilera where you're just like, I don't think your hygiene regimen is probably, you know what I'm saying, up to par. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stuff we're going to get into, I'm sure. Um, but I don't know a whole bunch about her aside from allegations and rumors and stuff like that and the fact that she just looks like a uh, three-day-old slice of greasy pizza. Um, so I'm going to start her off with uh, like, a, I'll give her a five to start off with. All right. So like Mikey referred to, we grew up watching her. Uh, you know, we were big Nirvana fans back in the day. And, you know, I just couldn't help but think that she did kill Kurt back in right. the day. I had listened to maybe a little bit of her music before that, but uh, that was really the first time that she kind of got plastered onto my radar. And so it's, um, you know, as I've gotten older, I don't know if I really believe that theory anymore, but that was my first introduction to her. 
I have a little bit of sympathy on both sides. Like the drug addicts, I know that they did a lot of drugs, her and Kurt did, but it always just frustrates me to no end when you have a child and you're supposed to be taking care of that child and you lose custody of that child due to your desire to do drugs more than take care of your own. So uh, she's going to score a little bit higher for me than just your average Joe. I'm going to say off the rip, Courtney Love. I'm going to go with a modest 5.25 and see what we find out through the course of this episode. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, buddy like you, I also was a huge Nirvana fan back in the day. Started listening to him around like 93, 94. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. The media made her out to be, you know, pretty much a complete freak. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, you have the rumors that she may have had something to do with his death. Right. And just Um, her look didn't help at all. Right. Right. Three day old pizza. But then. Over the next decade, you saw kind of what a crazy bitch she was. I remember MTV News. Mm -hmm. She was all over MTV News. All um, the time. Yep, because she would get in a fight, try to burn somebody's house down or some shit like that. Pre-show, I'm going to give her a 5.75. She hasn't really seemed to be a terrible person, but just somebody who has a gnarly drug problem with some issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with a 5.75 from Randy, a 5.0 from Mikey, and a 5.25 from Buddy, Courtney Love's pre-show asshole score is a 5.3. All right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. You boys ready to do this? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Before we get going today, we have a small ask from our audience. Recently, we've begun working with a social media manager, and she's been, to put it mildly, fucking awesome so far. Yeah. Fucking awesome. She's brought all of our social media accounts back to life, and we now have some great content and a lot of posts to help keep everyone up to date and engaged. At the end of all of our shows, we tell everybody to give us a follow on all of our social media platforms. But in the past, they sucked. But now, you'll have something to look at and interact with. Please go check out the new and approved Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. And also, let us know what you think about the shows and leave us a comment or review. We really do appreciate all that our audience does for us. Yeah, it turns out you guys were talking to us this whole time and we didn't even know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. And also, uh, give us a good rating, too. Or give us a bad rating. I don't give a shit. Just rate the show. Back it up with facts if you're going to do that. <laughs> George Washington's asshole. That's it. <laughs> that's right. George Washington's butt plug is what that's I got. It. Yeah, the ivory butt plug. Yeah, we're that, not pleased with that's that. That's right. All right. Courtney Michelle Harrison was born on July 9th, 1964 in San Francisco, California to parents Linda Carroll and Hank Harrison. To say Courtney's parents were a bit on the wild side would be an understatement and may paint a little bit of a picture about what we came to know about Courtney's life. Her mother, Linda, was a psychotherapist and super hippie, and her dad, well, one of his best friends and Courtney's godfather, is Phil Lesh from The Grateful Dead. Uh Oh, wow. Okay, so just super hippie parents. Just plugged into that scene. Hate Ashbury Day, 66, 67. That's exactly right. Yeah, man. So Courtney's parents had a short courtship. They met at a party for Dizzy Gillespie in 1963. That's pretty fun. Oh, wow. Yeah, and were rumored to have dropped acid with Jerry Garcia and the rest of the dead. You know they did. Oh, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Phil Lesh is your best friend. Yeah, Phil Lesh is like your best man, uh, your Your godfather, godfather. and they're like, you think they dropped acid with The Grateful Dead? Maybe once or twice. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Love's biological grandmother is novelist Paula Fox, but Love's mother, Linda Carroll, had been given up for adoption right after she was born, and Love didn't find out who her grandmother was until much later in life. The two were not close, in part because of the fact that Fox won't tell Love who her grandfather is. And what could be a steamy twist, Love believes it might be actor 
Marlon Brando. I have I, oh, I, I wow. have heard of this. I did hear this. That's really? right. Yeah. Her wow. evidence. Love has said, if you look at me before my first nose job, I kind of look like Marlon Brando. Also, her grandmother lived for a brief time with her acting coach, who was also housing a young and up and coming actor, Brando, during the time of her mother's conception. Oh, I, I have wow. seen uh, pictures of Courtney Love pre nose job. She does not look like Marlon Brando. <laughs> She and I don't know if that's what I, someone want to claim. No, I mean, you're a chick and you young, look like Marlon Brando. Yeah, I, I mean, saw some pictures of her from early on, and yeah. that's pretty rough. Yeah, we, but I mean, yeah. it doesn't get much better later on. She so. looked more like a fucking dumpster muppet than she looked like Marlon Brando. To be, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but for real, like that you're movie. I, it's just being honest. You know what I'm saying? I'm like for real. Like if you had made a muppet that lived in a trash can that wasn't the Oscar, wasn't, that wasn't Oscar. It was her. You know what I'm saying? That was her. So, no. I don't believe that. It's like when people talk about, what's his name? Uh, Ronan Farrow, right? The rumor is that his dad is Frank Sinatra. Ronan Farrow is Mia Farrow's and Woody Allen's son. Okay. okay. When you okay. put a picture of him next to Frank Sinatra, you're like, oh, yeah. Frank Sinatra was all up in Mia Farrow's guts, bro. <laughs> like, because you're like, that looks like Frank Sinatra. Right. Uh, when I did a side-by-side of Marlon Brando and Love, <laughs> not, not at so all. Much. Not so much. So Love spent her childhood in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco from the years 1964 to 69 when her parents divorced. 69. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when her, uh, This means that Love was there for the famous Summer of Love in 1967. Her parents' divorce had a rock star twist to it as Linda accused husband Hank of dosing young Courtney with LSD. Uh, well, oh, there you go. Well, there that, it is. that kind of paints the picture right there. I said it would. Hank denied the claim, but Courtney's mother was given full custody in the divorce. In 1970, Carol relocated with love to the rural community of Marcola, Oregon, where they lived along the Mohawk River in a hippie commune. Okay. okay. All right. There was a lot of those in Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Love attended a Montessori school in Eugene where she struggled academically and socially. At age nine, a psychologist noted that she exhibited signs of autism. Though Love was raised Catholic, her mother maintained an unconventional home. There were hairy, wangly-ass hippies running around naked doing gestalt therapy. Mm -hmm. And her mother raised her in a gender-free household with no dresses, no patent leather shoes, no canopy beds, nothing. A lot of organs flopping around. (laughs) Organs. Organs and organs. That's it. Your new name (laughs) is Dennis. That's a, uh, I know my first name is Steven reference for anybody out there that remembers that uh, made for TV Classic Lifetime movie. Yeah, absolutely. After a divorce from another dude, Linda impulsively moved to New Zealand in 1973. Dang, she was a her. Absolutely. Oh, wow, man. Linda Mm -hmm. saw an ad for a Summerhill-like Kiwi-free school in the Whole Earth catalog, moved there, and took up sheep farming at which she proved less skillful and once set a hillside on fire by mistake. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, put that in awesome perspective, mother. though, right? We're going to move to New Zealand, and I'm going to be a sheep farmer. I have no formal training of how to raise sheep. No. Or know what the fuck I'm doing in New Zealand. Yeah, but I mean, like, she was already, like, like hanging out with a bunch of hippies all the time, so you went from, like, a hippie commune to, like, a sheep farm. I mean, like, is it really... How the, how the fuck do people 
do this sort of stuff. I mean, I it's hard know. enough for me to like move out of the state, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. or move into the town next, you know, the next <laughs> town over. I was looking at one point. I was like, I would like to go check out New Zealand. I wonder what it's like if you want to immigrate there. It's fucking impossible. Barring that you have us. massive amounts of money or a very specialized degree that nobody else in New Zealand has. So how the fuck is she going up there and being like, I'll just do, it. I'll just be a sheep farmer. Well, I mean, yeah, it's an island, a pretty isolated island at that well, too, right off of Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Immigrating anywhere is fucking impossible. Yeah, yeah. Well, us Maybe. Americans always make the mistake of thinking like they'll just take us. No, <laughs> no. no. They're like, they please won't. stay there. Stay. Yeah, stay. May have been different in '73, mm. but that's yeah. true. There yeah. probably wasn't recruiting just a lot of back sheep. then. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Love was enrolled at the Nelson College for Girls, but was soon expelled for misbehavior. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> the Nelson College. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> <laughs> you got expelled. <laughs> And sent back to Portland. <laughs> and she did. 1973, Carol sent love back to Portland, Oregon, to be raised by her former stepfather and other family friends. During this time, her mother gave birth to two of love's other half-brothers. Out in New Zealand? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Courtney wound up with four younger siblings, who appear in all accounts to be very normal. Her sister Nicole is a therapist. Sister Jamie is a lawyer. Brother Tobias is an English professor. And her brother Daniel is a writer. Tobias well, is a butter churner. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, if you don't have acid at a young age, you might turn out normal, yeah. right? And Tobias I, just sounds like an English professor. It certainly does. Yeah. yeah. Tobias sounds like an asshole. You know, Tobias. It's Tobias. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> pompous prick. Toby. Yeah. Shut up, Toby. No one to hear your shit. Look at all the places that she's checking off, though. Like, she was ahead of the curve. She had New Zealand, San Francisco, San Francisco Portland. Portland. Yeah. She was way ahead of the curve. And she was 13 when all the before yeah. this, yeah. At age 14, Love was arrested for shoplifting from a Portland department store and remanded at Hillcrest Correctional Facility, a juvie hall in Salem, Oregon. Man. While at Hillcrest, she became acquainted with records by Patti Smith, The Runaways, and The Pretenders, who later inspired for her to become a musician and start a band. Okay. I do know that at some point in her childhood, she tried out for the Mickey Mouse Club and actually got rejected. She had an autobiography come out at some point, and the rejection letter is like page three yeah. on there. Huh. Well, that's so. what I'm saying. She should have tried out for Sesame Street, where she would live in a, in a garbage can. She would be Oscar the Grouch's girlfriend. Bitch, you live in a trash can. <laughs> they don't even need a puppet. You just put a 13-year-old, yeah, it's just mean as hell, but I'm going to go with it. She was intermittently placed in foster care throughout late 1979 until becoming legally emancipated in 1980, at the age of 16. That's fucking brutal, dude. Yeah, yeah dude. Foster care is just like, God, oh, it's, it's a, a meat grinder, bro. Yeah. I feel so, anybody that's going through foster care, I mean, they're just, you're starting off with a bad hand, bro. Yeah, dude, my heart goes out to you. That's a, I mean, you're already starting 10 steps back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a cool system. I mean, there are a couple that kind of maybe make it through. There are always know. good eggs in any situation. And then you have ones that literally, it's just like, farming cash it's a paycheck yeah. it's a paycheck and then obviously there's ones that are potentially abusive and stuff like that and even just the dynamic itself is, is tough because you're not their kid and if you're already a troublemaker at that point you come in and like you're rebellious and then like it's a already like a very tense relationship obviously at this point she's she's getting emancipated at 16 yeah, yeah. so that was how bad it was it was just the, like i've got to get the fuck out of the situation so yeah I, f- I just I feel for anybody who's got to go through that shit. Yeah, so yeah. funny enough, my son turned 16 this week, and he let my wife and I know that he could now illegally emancipate himself from us now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, we nice. both just kind of laughed. We're like, good luck with that. Yeah, not All a right, smart well, there's move. there's the front door. Yeah, All exactly. right, go ahead. Not a smart move, my man. 
He just laughed. He knew. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go pack it back. No, that's our stuff, bro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's got it good. I'll get you a bus ticket. <laughs> so at 16, Love then moved to Japan to be, well, a stripper. What? She danced in a topless bar for a couple months before the club was shut down, her passport confiscated, and she got deported. Yeah, I heard about this. And I think she was a stripper over in Korea for a little bit, too. Oh, she goes back to Asia. She sure does. Well, that's the name of the club was Nipponese. (laughs) 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 Then she went to the Bottoms Off Club in China. Chew Man Chew. <laughs> Remember that joke when you were a kid, nip on these and Chew Man Chew? All right, well, I do. And so does Courtney Love. So Courtney took her talents back to the U.S. where she settled back in in Portland and began dancing at the strip club Mary's Club. And this is where Courtney Love was born. She took on the last name Love to try and hide her identity. She also had a unique act. She would cut herself with razors on stage. Oh, that's a hard pass on that. I was going to say, no. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I want strippers' blood too close to my vodka tonic. Ever. Yeah, no. I mean, like, I'd prefer the ping pong balls being popped oh, out more I don't so even... than the uh, cutters. Uh, uh, cutters, I don't even understand how that's... That's a fucking health hazard. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't imagine a health inspector walks in. <laughs> What's going on over there? Oh, it's just the new act. She just slit herself open. It's fucking crazy. You believe this? The managers are like, get Courtney off the yeah, stage, right. quick. Oh, no, the health inspector's like, no, I'm kind of into this, man. <laughs> and stripper's blood, it kind of sounds like an ingredient in like a slutty Halloween witch's brew. It, ah, stripper's yeah, blood, and yeah. I have newt. Or it's like a shitty fucking mixture, or like a drink that they make for like a Halloween. Yeah, yeah. a, a uh, shot. Yeah, I'll blood. take a stripper's blood. Yeah, man, it's just some fucking vodka with some strawberry. <laughs> vodka cranberry. Yeah, some with Bailey's some- Irish cream and red food coloring, man. It's amazing. <laughs> Like most strippers, she said she was trying to make money to go to school, and (laughs) sure enough, she was. She enrolled at Portland State University with the intentions of studying English and philosophy. She Mm. was going to become a philosophizer. She was going to make a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Love took some odd jobs around Portland, including one as a DJ at a gay disco. She said she had always been very socially awkward, but hanging around drag queens taught her to be herself and open up socially. I can imagine an autistic stripper that's slicing herself up. And hanging out with drag queens. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, the shoe fits, I guess, right? I guess, to yeah. each their own, I guess. That's a giant hurdle. If you're autistic and you're stripping, that's got to be... Or maybe I'm thinking no, they, of like social anxiety. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more in her bag. Maybe. That could be it. I have bad social anxiety, which is why I never stripped. <laughs> <laughs> In late 1982, she attended a Faith No More concert in San Francisco and convinced the members to let her join as a singer. The group recorded material with Love as a vocalist, but fired her because the band wanted a more male energy. How did how did she convince them to let her sing? How does I think we know how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Step up to the mic. Yeah. (laughs) And it may be one of those were like, yeah, they they let me sing, and we recorded some stuff, and they're like. Yeah, you let her take her clothes off. <laughs> and she just blew all of us. And she thinks she's getting on our band. Yeah, right. Maybe she could be the fish that flops around in the video. Oh, yeah. Damn. Courtney Fish. Yeah. <laughs> Love again decided to run off to Asia to work as an exotic dancer briefly in Taiwan and then at a taxi dance hall in Hong Kong. By Love's account, she first used heroin while working at the Hong Kong dance hall, having mistaken it for cocaine. Oh. That's an odd Ooh, mistake. A, yeah. yeah. Just me. Heroin's brown. No, they have the white. white, China white sometimes. 
Oh, it's white China heroin? white, it'll be some white heroin. I know because like when I had to get over my social anxiety to strip, I started <laughs> I started doing China white heroin. Um and I just sort of laid on stage. <laughs> just drooled around the like yeah. the fish from the Faith No yeah, More. Pretty concert. much. Uh but or no, yeah, I, they do have heroin that looks white. Interesting. Mm. All right. Yeah. But normally it's brown or like tar, like Mexican yeah, mud yeah. or tar or whatever they call it. I don't know. And some people do snort heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's how a lot of people do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, my mom. <laughs> just Your mom does heroin. <laughs> While still inebriated from the drug, Love was pursued by a wealthy male client who requested that she return with him to the Philippines and gave her money to purchase new clothes. She used the money to purchase airfare back to Portland. Smart. Yeah, I think the Steve Miller band wrote a song about this. Oh, you know, yeah. Take the money and run. Take the money and oh, run. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up, though. I don't know if you get into this at all, but the rumor that she came out and said was not Steve Miller, but Ted Nugent, that she blew Ted Nugent when she was 13 years old. Really? Oh, she has come out and said that. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, Dirty Ted. I mean, that, talk about, like, have you listened to that guy's lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely. And we've, t- and we've talked about maybe could doing a show on We should. He had, I think yeah. he had a song called Jailbait, which yeah. was about fucking uh, underage girls. Oh. And so it sounds like that may be, you know, art. Oh, like Fucking uh, pedophiles. Again, every episode here, yeah. it seems like we're getting can't, into can't, it. Can't get away from the pedos, yeah, Wango man. tango. Man. Love bounced around the West Coast for a couple of years, mainly in Portland and Seattle playing with a couple different local bands before deciding to move to the paramount of rock music, Minneapolis. <laughs> hey, don't say that shit to Prince, I though. know, I know Prince is from there, but... <laughs> no, you're right. Love moved to Minneapolis, where Kat Belland had formed a group called Babes in Toyland and worked briefly as a concert promoter before returning to California. Drummer Lori Barbaro recalled Love's time in Minneapolis. She lived in my house for a little while, and then we did a concert at the Orpheum. It was 1988. It was called O88 with the Butthole Surfers, Cows and Bastards, Run Westy Run, and Babes in Toyland. Oh, yeah, the Butthole Surfers, yeah. man. There's a funny story them. about the Butthole Surfers. Mm-hmm. One of our friend's dad was making fun of our music. Yep. He was like, you guys listen to bands like Butthole Surfers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, yeah, I guess you're right. And she said, Maureen Herman took Courtney to the airport after Love had stolen all the money from the show. She <laughs> stayed, and then the next day she wanted to take her to the airport. So I drove her. Said she had a weird fight with a guy at the desk, and then she just left. She said, I'm going to L.A., and I'm going to get my face done, and I'm going to be famous. Dang. She She knew her face is fucked up. Right. Yeah. Still is. So back in L.A., she took experimental theater courses in Oakland, taught by Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, nice. Could you imagine Whoopi teaching a class with Courtney Love as one of her students? This bitch Eh. is like fucking Forrest Gump. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? She's showing up and everywhere. She's in fucking Portland. She's in San Francisco hanging out with the Grateful Dead. Whoopi Goldberg. I'm sure she fucked Prince in Minneapolis. Jesus H. Christ, Courtney. How do you even have time to do this stuff? I met one famous person in my entire life, and he wasn't even that famous. I just waited at his table. I met Jimmy Carter on an airplane. There you, you go. got a picture with him. I've met quite a couple of famous you have. people you over the years. You got pictures with Will Smith and yep. DJ Jazzy Jeff. Yep. Silverchair. Yep. Met Bush, Gavin Rossdale. Yep. Um, God, Silverchair. Met, yeah, Silverchair, Crowded House. Um, yeah. Well, my dad was in the music business, so yeah. we, we got free tickets and backstage. Ted Nugent? Never met, <laughs> Never met Dirty Ted, but I do know a Dirty Ted. We all know, we all a, dirty know a Dirty Ted. Ted. We won't a, go down that route. That's a different story for a different day. God almighty, that's a Patreon story. That's a story that can never be told. This is true. <laughs> hey guys, real quick. 
If you're liking the show, do us a favor and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're catching us on. It makes a huge difference. Now, back to Asshole Court. In 1985, Lubb submitted an audition tape for the role of Nancy Spungen in the Sid Vicious biopic Sid and Nancy and was given a minor supporting role by director Alex Cox. After filming Sid and Nancy in New York City, she worked at a peep show in Times Square and lived temporarily at the ABC No Rio Social Center and the Pyramid Club in the East Village. Can you imagine going to like Times Square now and seeing peep shows there? It's not. It's not <laughs> oh, man. It used so, to be filthy, man. Dude, I remember in the 90s walking past certain places mm-hmm. in New York and seeing like the peep mm-hmm. show alleys and stuff like that and uh, never went down there. So funny enough, I'm doing my research for the show mm-hmm. and... Uh, my finger rolled over on Wikipedia peep show and it has its own page. I was like, yeah. God damn it. And it went to peep show and I found myself going down the rabbit hole of yeah. the history of peep shows and yeah. why they don't exist anymore and how gross they were. And there was a good series on HBO called the deuce that was about the sex trade in Times Square in the seventies. Huh. And uh, yeah, that was apparently just, was you'd have very just different sex. Like there was, they'd be oh, fucking was, on stage. Times Square back in the day was as filthy as Courtney Love's bathtub. Oh, you know what I'm saying? like it was just disgusting. And uh, yeah, it was, but it's a really good show. The same guy that did The Wire wrote this show or whatever. And there's like three seasons, but they were talking about huh. like the sex work that was going on in Times Square in the 70s. Yeah, interesting. So in 1988, she landed a part in the 88 Ramones music video. I want a piece of David. I mean, huh. I want to be sedated. Uh, I always thought that was the words. I want, I want a piece, piece of David. David. <laughs> yeah. Some like gay urges, man. <laughs> no, it's almost like you want to fight him. Okay, I got you. Yeah. I see. I not, want not a piece of David, yeah. punk bitch. <laughs> you know. And then I'll I, be closer, Tony Danza. Yeah. I want a piece of David. Yeah, exactly. You guys know how lyrically inclined oh, yeah. I am. I don't know the words to. 99 percent yeah songs we didn't have the internet to. back in the 80s and 90s so we just kind of had to go with what we thought yeah. it was and then you read it one time you're like oh it is i want to be sedated <laughs> yeah <laughs> my bad in the video she appeared as a bride among dozens of party guests that same year in 88 love abandoned acting and returned to the west coast she started stripping in the small town of mcminnville oregon where she was recognized by customers at the bar this prompted love to go into isolation she relocated to anchorage alaska where she lived for three months to gather her thoughts, Jeez. supporting herself by working at none other than a strip club frequented by local fishermen. Oh, yeah. So not only does this go along with the Forrest Gump theme, but this chick might as well start a 401k with strip clubs because that's, that's what she was doing to earn money. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it's well. something you can always fall back on. You know what I mean? I guess that's what I got through college on. But I mean, well, like, yeah. uh, she started, you know, like we said, 10 steps behind. <laughs> I just got this picture of like the Gordon's fisherman getting a lap dance. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I know my hands smell like fish, but I still love you. But my wallet's fat. <laughs> Those fucking scumbags on like uh, Deadliest Catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, oh, hell yeah. Paycheck's coming in, man. I'm going to get me a stripper and kill her. I mean, <laughs> No, just- oh man! <laughs> what about that fucking viral video on TV where they're reporting live from the gas station down the road, and they're talking about the lottery? The jackpot had grown pretty big, oh, okay. and this um, reporter's like, "So we're here live at the gas station. Let's talk to someone and see what they'll do if they win the oh, jackpot." Yeah. So, like, sir, what would you do if you win tonight's jackpot? And this dude turns around and goes, 
a bunch of cocaine and strippers. And she was like, oh, she goes, that was like the joy of live TV. And I was like, that guy is a fucking hero. I was about to say, that's the right answer. (laughs) So he was going to do a bunch of cocaine and Courtney Love. There you go. If he lived in Anchorage, Alaska at the time. She was going to steal his money and then. (laughs) (laughs) And fly to Tampa, Florida. Mm She said, I decided to move to Alaska because I need to get my shit together and learn how to work. So, <laughs> I mean, you're doing the same shit. You're obviously, you left because you got recognized as a stripper. So you left and became a stripper. Yeah, that's right. So I went on this sort of vision quest. I got rid of all my earthly possessions. I had my bad little strip clothes and some big sweaters. And I moved into a trailer with a bunch of other strippers. Man, a stripper trailer in Anchorage, Alaska. God, sure is lavish. I can't even imagine what that toilet looks like. And is it like uh, during the time when it's like light all the time in Anchorage or dark all the time in in Anchorage? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't. I don't know. That's that's. If weird. you're in the strip club, it's always dark. Yeah. 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 1988 was the beginning of what brought love into the music scene in which she would stay for the next 30 years. The start of her band, Hole. By 89, Love had recruited guitarist Eric Erlinson, bassist Lisa Roberts, her neighbor, and a drummer, Caroline Rue. Love named the band Hole after a line from Euripides' Medea. There's a hole that pierces right through me. There's also another story that says it came from a talk she had with her mother, where her mother told Love she couldn't live her life with a hole running through her. Or from her stripper trailer where they were all like, we make money with our hole. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. My love hole. Uh, Uh, That's gross. It is gross. (laughs) In Hole's formative stages, Love continued to work at strip clubs in Hollywood, including Jumbo's Clown Room and the Seventh Veil. <laughs> Jumbo's Clown Room? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's when you know it's a high-class establishment. That's right. Saving money to purchase backline equipment in a touring van while rehearsing at a Hollywood studio loaned to her by none other than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. See? Oh, wow. See? Forrest Gump. Forrest You're right. Gump. Yeah. Forrest She Hump. really is like Forrest Jenny. Yeah. That's right. Forest Humps. <laughs> Hole played their first show in November 1989 at Raji's, a rock club in Central Hollywood. Their debut single, Retard Girl, was issued in <laughs> oh. April 1990 through a Long Beach indie label, Sympathy for the Record Industry. He said, I, but, could, I could record that song nowadays because all these SJWs. <laughs> well, I mean, back in the day, like they could drop the word retard a lot easier than you can these days. That was the official designation, my man. They were like, this kid is retarded. They're like, oh, but okay, I mean, he's a sweet the, kid, but he's retarded. Even the Black Eyed Peas dropped that song back in like 2010. Let's get retarded. Like, let's get retarded. Let's get retarded. Uh, but then they quickly changed it. Let's and that it was roughly about the time that it started to change. Yeah, they decided to get it started. Yeah, that's right. Instead of being retarded. Yeah, when the NBA picked it up, they're like, we can't play this at the stadiums. <laughs> He said, some of our fans are retarded. <laughs> Hole appeared on the cover of Flipside, a Los Angeles-based punk fanzine. In early 1991, they released their second single, Dick Nail, nice. through Sub Pop Records. So, oh. Retard Girl and Dick Nail. Yeah. Man, they're coming out the fences swinging. That's yeah. right. I mean, you're going to listen to that song. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You see that? You're like, I don't know about the rest of this album, but I'm starting off with Retard Girl. <laughs> Hole went on a run for a couple decades, releasing several more records with Love gaining... A cult-like following. But this isn't behind the music. This is Asshole Court. So let's dive into some of the antics I'm sure you've all been waiting to talk about. But if you look inside the timeline of events, they all seem to stem from one thing. The death of her husband and one of my favorite musicians, Kurt Cobain. Yep, yep, yep. There are varying accounts of how Love and Cobain came to know one another. 
Journalist Michael Azarod states that the two met in 1989 at the Satricon nightclub in Portland, Oregon, though Cobain biographer Charles Cross claimed the date was actually February 12, 1990. Cross said that Cobain playfully wrestled love to the floor after she said that he looked like Dave Perner of Soul Asylum. Okay. I think I remember hearing that, and then they ended up talking that on the phone that night while they were both drinking cough syrup, <laughs> and that sounds very Cobain-esque, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Drinking that lean and yeah, getting yeah. their swerve on. Mm-hmm. That's right. According to Love, she first met Cobain at a Dharma Burns show in Portland, while Love's bandmate Eric Erlinson said that both he and Love were introduced to Cobain in a parking lot after a Butthole Surfers L7 concert at the Hollywood Palladium, May 7th, 1991. So somewhere between 89, 89 and 91, they yep. met, and that's just you know mm-hmm. details, details, right. but yeah. Sometime in late 1991, Love and Cobain became reacquainted through Jennifer Finch, one of Love's longtime friends and former bandmates. Love and Cobain were a couple by 1992. Love married Cobain on Waikiki Beach in Honolulu, Hawaii on February 24th, 1992. She wore a satin and lace dress once owned by actress Frances Farmer, while Cobain wore plaid pajamas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I think, saw some pictures of this, actually, uh, in the documentary. about. I bet he was Love. pretty pissed that he had to get married in Hawaii. Yeah, I was about to say, they. That's I not... can't see them being, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he, I, honestly, he was always wearing long sleeve shirts because of his track marks. Of his track marks. Yeah, exactly so right. I have been on that beach many times, and it is hot. <laughs> <laughs> you do not want to be wearing a fucking flannel. Flannels? Yeah. We all know that Cobain died in 1994 via suicide, but of course... There are a lot of conspiracy theories around his death that implicate love and having something to do with it. Cobain's lawyers said that he had recently come to him to drop a new will because he was planning to divorce love and leave all of his fortune to his daughter in the new will. Francis Bean. That's right. And then there was the handwriting sample that was found in one of Courtney Love's book bags that pretty much showed her trying to mimic Cobain's handwriting. There have been multiple theories that suggest Kurt didn't write the suicide note that Courtney read at the memorial service for him. Mm-hmm. Either way, his death put her in a deep, dark, drug-fueled hole over the next couple of years. Yeah, see, and that was my theory. Like, I, w- I went along with it. Like, I was like, yeah, there's no way Kurt would do that. But, I mean, as I get older, I actually, I, I think Kurt did do Yeah, it I was like, they're, they're like, he would never do that. I was like, the guy who wrote the song called I Hate Myself and Want to Die? <laughs> yeah, he might, <laughs> he might have done it. Uh, but, but that being said, if you do look at the at the suicide note, it does appear to be somebody else's handwriting at the end. Yes. And it yep. didn't really seem to be like if you cut that section out of it it doesn't seem so much like a suicide, a suicide note. note but it's like him sort of saying like i'm just gonna get away from music for a while or something like that i'm on the fence i personally think odds are just occam's razor is that the dude killed himself and, but and wasn't there some like conspiracy about the toxicology report that there was too much heroin they said that, well that's the thing this guy was a fucking legitimate just, heroin addict yeah so their tolerance can they're go like through oh, the, the yeah, amount of heroin in that. his bloodstream would have been toxic well yeah. that was probably like a tuesday morning exactly for that yeah they're like yeah, oh yeah. no normal human being could handle that amount of heroin i'm like but that's not a normal human being that's a heroin <laughs> addict right you know what I'm that's like uh people that drink a lot man i mean you dude Send somebody that hasn't gotten drunk in their life and watch them drink a 12-pack, and they won't ever make it through it. They'll be vomiting by beer seven. But, you know, I mean... Uh, 0.08 is a little bit different for yeah, the non-drinker. It's to totally the, true. Yeah, 12-pack, yeah. yeah, that's just a Saturday night, bro. <laughs> so, let's get started with the antics of Courtney Love. No, right? On a Qantas flight in 1995, when asked to remove her feet from the window adjacent to her first-class seat, Gross. Love objected and asked those in the vicinity if her feet were offending anyone. Yes. Oh, always. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. When threatened with arrest, Love responded by saying, 
You are one mean fucking stewardess. Upon arrival, she was arrested, strip searched, and charged with intimidation of flight crew and endangering an aircraft. After two days of airport detention, a court let her off with a $500 fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, that sounds like after she came down, you just know. had her feet up barefoot, I'm sure. Yeah, Gross. I, yeah. I don't, I mean, I've seen it. I've been on planes and I've seen people take their shoes off. But first of all, fuck you. Gross. Yeah. God. Oh, fuck ah. you for doing that shit. I've seen pictures where people are like, post their feet up like in between you know what i'm saying like somebody posted on somebody up on, else's like yeah, on reddit yeah you, there, some lady put, put a picture like i'm on this flight right now look at this and this lady's fucking feet are right there on her armrest and yeah, you just but like, I mean, I like yeah, that's like getting into the cab and immediately taking off your shoes yeah you should <laughs> like, not, re- you know, not remove you your were? shoes no in a public setting Unless you're at trampoline land, <laughs> you should not be taking your fucking shoes off. Even then, you get special socks. Exactly. Yeah. They All make right. sure it's clean, relatively speaking. On July 4th, 1995, at the Lollapalooza Festival, <laughs> I just giggle. The name of the city is George. The state? Washington. Nice. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. In George Washington. In, yeah, in George yeah. Washington. I want to open a, up a, a strip club in George Washington <laughs> called Butt Plug. <laughs> <laughs> Or what was Thomas Jefferson's uh, little side piece name? Oh, shit. What was her name? Sally Hemings. Sally Hemings. Yeah. Oh, he said, ladies and, he said, gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Sally Hemings. <laughs> yeah. Nobody He's would get coming it. Coming to you live no, from no. George Washington. Yeah. If you've got jungle fever, make sure you tip properly. <laughs> Love threw a lit cigarette at musician Kathleen Hanna before punching her in the face, alleging that Hanna had made a joke about her daughter. She pleaded guilty to an assault charge and was sentenced to anger management classes. In November 1995, two male teenagers sued Love for allegedly punching them during a whole concert in Orlando, Florida. The judge dismissed the case on grounds that the teens weren't exposed to any greater amount of violence that could reasonably be expected at an alternative rock concert. Dude, right. I went to a lot of alternative rock concerts back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I mean, those things, it, a lot of the mosh pits and stuff oh, like yeah. that, they could they could get pretty serious. Oh, and, hell uh, yeah. You know, like I mean, you kind of, when you go there, it's kind of like when you go to a baseball game, You when you buy the ticket, you know, if you get hit with a foul ball, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, it's kind of just par for the course. Buddy, you yeah. got me tickets, again, your dad was in the music industry, you got me tickets to a corn concert in 1996. All right. This yes. was well before corn was mainstream. All right. Mm-hmm. We were all into corn at this point. Like, we yeah. actually got, we were ahead of the curve on that. Again, thanks to my dad. We got like the CDs probably about two months before everybody mm-hmm. else had gotten their hands on it. And this is the one concert that I am mad at my dad. He had gotten four tickets to corn. He got sick the night of, and I was not allowed to go with his sister and her boyfriend and I should have been the fourth person there, but I wasn't allowed to. And I'm still mad at my dad for this. I don't let him live it down. I have two memories from that concert. One, the group across the aisle from us, there was a girl and a guy. And I remember like before the show started, everybody's just kind of sitting there drinking and she had her hand down his pants, giving him a hand job yeah. like in, in his pants. Like and you just saw not, her hand jerking him <laughs> and then after the show, we were standing outside of like the merch counter. I was going to buy a shirt. You guys remember the shirt? I uh, of course, I remember the shirt. <laughs> I can't shirt believe did you buy? it was a naked little girl on the oh. front. Full, full, like he wore it to school the next day and then was asked to change, if I recall correctly, because I was like, that is a naked seven year old girl 
<laughs> not a great look. It was it was a little edited, but it yeah. It, it was, was enough to be uh, explicitly God. suggestive. Damn, I don't. I, don't I never understood how that shirt ever got made. <laughs> the nineties were. But a hell at of that a time. merch counter, I remember just looking at the people walking out. Of mm-hmm. uh, the place called the International Ballroom. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And yep. uh, I remember just watching the people walk out. I was like. God damn, that's who I was in the concert with. Yeah, it was yeah. a fucking rough looking well, crowd. In remember, hindsight, that was a good show for my dad not to allow me to go with yeah. like literally like a 18 to 19 year old yeah. at the time when I was like 14. <laughs> you could have got the little naked boy shirt. You guys <laughs> no, but, I mean, you guys remember how small I was back then, like a tiny little fella. Yeah. And I remember going to the Stuck Mojo concert and being like, I have to get in the mosh pit because I just feel obligated and I remember running through that thing like it was a scene in Braveheart and just being terrified <laughs> and getting completely knocked on my ass. Oh, like a raggedy ant. Oh, bro. And I, I was, it was scary because that thing was like, it was moving. It was like a whirling pit. Yes. Yeah. And I remember like hitting the ground and I shelled up because I was like, I'm about to get fucking stomped out. And this dude just picked me up and basically like carried me like a little fucking bitch and like <laughs> like put me over towards like the safe zone. And I was like, thank you. You stay. Yeah, I was like, you're my hero. <laughs> Did you ever know that you're <laughs> yeah. my hero? Telling you. Do you guys remember the uh, Persian Gulf War version of that song? It was like the saddest <laughs> thing ever. No, I they don't. would it would have like interjections of phone calls with yeah. soldiers talking to their kids. Oh, I miss you so much. I blew this Iraqi's head off today. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, <laughs> but, man. man. At the time, it was tugged on the heartstrings a little bit. Yeah, it, it was, was uh, the 90s. Man. Anyway, we'll get back on track here. Yeah. Love later said she had little memory of 1994-95 as she had been using large quantities of heroin and roofinol at the time. Yeah, I she was her, roofing herself. Her and Kurt, before he committed suicide, remember he went to rehab because he and Rome. Yeah. And it was because he had roofied himself to such an extent <laughs> yep. that he had to, that, like, they checked him in. And, and they, I was like, they talk who? about wow. that a lot. The Rome incident. Yeah. Is who they is say, taking yeah. fucking Rohypnol for fun, dude? And what was her album that came out uh, right then? That was Live Through This. Live Through This. All right. So that came out in 94. Kurt dies in 94 and she goes out on tour, like literally like the album was released three days after he died. Yeah. And she went out on tour like immediately after she talks about how she didn't like go to any psychiatrist. She didn't do any kind of group mm-hmm. therapy. She just went straight on tour. And uh, yeah, that kind of, I mean, everybody deals with things differently, but she was like, that was a big mistake. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's actually some pretty good tracks on that album, too. Dude, was, it's a great fucking yeah, album. Like, Vi- I actually Violence went back a, and listened to it today. Yeah, Violence is a pretty good track, but... I actually probably should have listened to it a little bit more mm-hmm. back in the day. It's, it's a good album. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. As you mindlessly scroll through your phone while waiting in line for coffee, like us on all your favorite social media platforms. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AHC Podcast. Thanks for your support. Back to Asshole Court. Love reportedly attacked a Vanity Fair journalist after the writer reported on Love's heroin use during her pregnancy. When the two crossed paths at the 1995 Vanity Fair Oscar party, Love got dangerously close to attacking her, grabbed the nearest thing she could use as a weapon, which is Quentin Tarantino's Oscar statuette, which he won for Pulp Fiction. Oh, wow. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) I'm telling you. Love eventually admitted that first of all, since I wasn't hungry, but thirsty, (laughs) since they was free, (laughs) I must have grabbed me about 15 Oscar statues. 
Love eventually admitted to using heroin before she knew she was pregnant, but said she stopped as soon as she found out she was expecting. Checking the doubt box on that. Right. Yeah. Love was arrested at Heathrow Airport in February 2003. She had flown into a rage when an acquaintance was not allowed to accompany her into her first class cabin during a flight from L.A. to London. The disruption was serious enough to prompt the captain to request that law enforcement meet the plane when it disembarked. Love was led off the aircraft and into a waiting police car. In Britain, to perform at a charity event, she was released after several hours of questioning without being charged. Starting to see a pattern here. Right. Don't like the airplanes. Don't want to fly with Courtney Love. This Never. Is fact. One early morning around 3 a.m. in October 2003, Love forced her daughter, Frances Cobain, to accompany her to the Los Angeles home of her boyfriend and manager, Jim Barber. Once they arrived, Love, presumably enraged by the presence of another woman in the house, began smashing windows, attempting to break in, and screaming that she would burn the house down. Barber's children were present at the time. This does not surprise me in the slightest. I could see Courtney Love, like, slamming windows and just oh, going yeah. nuts outside of somebody With else's her head. daughter in the car and his kids inside I the house. Say, can you imagine your dad's like, I want you to meet my new girlfriend, and you're like, oh, <laughs> shit, really? <laughs> That it's one? 3 a.m. Yeah. God almighty, dude. It's bad. Love was detained and taken to a police station and determined to be under the influence of an intoxicant or drug. After posting bond, she was released. But Love's day didn't end there. Shortly after 6.30 a.m., Love was rushed to the emergency room for treatment of a potential drug overdose from Oxycontin. She's just mad. So at 3 o'clock, she was smashing windows and raising hell outside this guy's house. They questioned her. She went home and fucking ate a bunch of pills yeah. and... Almost yeah. died. on the dot. I'm in your house now, smashing some shit. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. God, drug dumpster, man. She is just taking what, everything. What man. year was this? Oh three. So it's interesting because do you, do you guys remember that for a while there she like cleaned up her image and was getting in like some pretty serious movies like yeah. People versus Larry Flint. Yep, yep. And then like even if you because I was like kind of going back through and listening to some whole today and like the difference between lived through this and the next album that came celebrity out celebrity skin celebrity skin like yeah. night and day difference you're like well, oh yeah. she's trying to go like mainstream at this point she's borderline like a pop album it almost had like a no doubt feel to it you right, know what i mean like, right. like the, compared to her first album yeah you know and like it seemed like she was poised for like mainstream success and then uh she just sort of fell off into a hole there that's right yeah hey good choice of words that's there right there in 04, Love was in the news again for her erratic behavior on the set of Late Show with David Letterman. Love lifted her olive shirt at least six times on Letterman's talk show. Her back was facing the camera when she exposed herself while making an entrance. She then stood atop Letterman's desk, sang a few bars of Danny Boy, and offered the host an up-close viewing. And I, I remember this. this. Yeah. yeah, I had forgotten about yep. this until now. It's funny because she did that and everybody was disgusted, but Drew Barrymore did the same thing and everybody was like, oh, it's oh, so cute. Oh, look at her. And, and she even <laughs> talked about Barrymore doing it. Yeah. 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 Uh, the video was altered, so a profile of her breast couldn't be seen. Letterman said, that's very sweet of you. We're going to lose our liquor license. But just <laughs> hours later, it got a whole lot worse. She was arrested for assaulting a fan at one of her shows that evening, though she initially denied the charges. Love was arrested on a misdemeanor charge of reckless endangerment and third-degree assault for allegedly throwing a microphone stand and striking a man at the head in a New York City nightclub. Bro, those things weigh a ton. They're heavy. If you've never picked up a mic stand, they're they're bottom heavy. It's like a 15-pound plate, At the bottom, that's right. 
Police allege that Love hit Gregory Burgett, 24, of London, Kentucky. So a guy from Kentucky, yeah, London. New York. Yeah. We've got George Washington. Yeah. London, 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 Kentucky. Kentucky. London calling. <laughs> she drilled this dude in the head with a microphone stand as he watched the beginning of her show at the East Village Club, Plaid's Weekly, Kitten Club, Rock and Roll Night. The club's publicist, Claire O'Connor, said the microphone stand somehow ended up in the crowd and Love didn't intend to hit this guy. She went back to her dressing room completely unaware that there was an incident and she was about to be arrested. Love was arrested after Burnett needed three staples in his head and he said he wanted to press charges. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. I yep. mean, someone hits me in the head with a fucking microphone stand. I'm pressing charges, dude. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Especially, like, you have to go pay for that, right? You get staples in your head yeah. the ER in New York City. Like, mm-hmm. not going to be a cheap bill. Yeah. yeah. In 2005, Love dialed up her inner Miss Cleo and was interviewed on the red carpet for Pam Anderson's Comedy Central Roast. Dude, I saw this uh, in the research. Love is asked if she has any advice for a young girl moving to Hollywood. Love first hesitates and says, I'll get libeled if I say it. Fuck it. If Harvey Weinstein invites you to a private party in the Four Seasons Hotel... Don't go. Oh, yeah. wow. She was calling out Harv early. She did, man. She did. Good for her. Like, she gets some points for that, for real. Because I like, and maybe that's what caused the. the that's probably the word on the street, honestly. Well, no, that everybody was knew. Everybody, everybody knew, did. but nobody talked about it. So she did. And I think that's like, yeah, maybe that's when her roles dried up because Weinstein was notorious for doing this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You. Yeah. You know, so actually, I give her a couple points off her asshole score for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not well, a couple, but a little bit. She was probably faded. Because her appearance as a roaster on the Comedy Central roast of Pam Anderson attracted love further media attention due to her appearing visibly intoxicated and disheveled. Oh, man. She crashed into Pamela Anderson on it. Like, she mm-hmm. tripped and fell into her while mm-hmm. Pamela was talking on the mic. And she, even Pamela was like, God damn. Yeah. And she's like, oh, <laughs> sorry, Pam. Yeah. Is everybody, like, shocked? They're like, wait a second. Courtney Love is, <laughs> is intoxicated? What? No. Wait a second. One review of the program said, Love acted as if she belonged in a psychiatric institution. Yeah. 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 Doesn't surprise me. Six days after the show's airing, she was sentenced to a 28-day lockdown rehab program for allegedly being under the influence of a controlled substance, violating her probation. To avoid jail time, she accepted an additional 180-day rehab sentence in September 2005. Yep. In November of that same year, she successfully completed the program Love was discharged from the rehab center under the provision that she would complete further outpatient rehab. In subsequent interviews in the following years, she would admit to have been dealing with various addictions during this time, including prescription drugs, cocaine, and crack. Yeah. Crack. Crack Smoking was crack. the big one back then. Uh, so basically everything? What have we covered already? We've uh, heroin, crack, prescription drugs, I mean, cocaine, you name it. She has mm-hmm. been. Yeah. Rohypnol. Dude. Yeah, Rufy and herself. Mm-hmm. Dude. Yeah. In December 2009, Frances Cobain, the daughter of Love and Kurt Cobain, filed a request for a restraining order against her mother. It contains allegations that Cobain's cat died after being trapped in boxes of papers, garbage, and other clutter hoarded within the household. I did see this a little bit, uh, not with the cat episode, but um, she did a documentary back around 2005, 2006 and she seemed to be a bit of a hoarder she had a lot in the garage like she had in the garage she had tons of clothes um and she actually even had the coat that kurt killed himself in like she still had a lot of his clothes and that was one of the things that she had so another one of cobain's pets uh, francis cobain uh, a dog died after consuming large amounts of pills 
casually left around the home. Jeez. Oh, Jesus. The restraining order requested that Love have no contact with her daughter, her daughter's grandmother and aunt, or Cobain's dog, Uncle Fester. Yeah, and the order how, was granted. How old is, is Frances? This is in 09. She was born in 91. No, like 94. She no, was, hell no. She was born in 91. Oh, 91? So 91 she's 92. She's remember, like he, she was 18 then. Yeah, 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 she's about 18, yeah, 19. Okay. Love appeared to start to get her shit together around 2010. Well, she at least seemed to stop making the cover of TMZ so frequently. With all the issues she had, what kind of money do you think all this cost? After Cobain committed suicide in 1994, Love inherited his writing and publishing rights, which were valued at 130 and 115 million dollars, respectively. Yep. So about 145 million bucks, mm-hmm. 245 million bucks. That she just basically had an escrow. That's right. In 2006, Love finally and officially sold 25% of her share of Nirvana's publishing rights. But in an interview with the UK Sunday Times, the 50-year-old rocker reveals, I've lost about $27 million of the Nirvana money. Mm-hmm. So I think at the time, uh, when, in 05, she sold 25% for like $50 million or something okay. like that. Yeah. So she was talking about that a little bit. Before she sold that, she had gone through about $20 million and was starting to get broke. And she was like, you know, it's kind of a taboo thing here in Hollywood. We don't talk about money, but like I'm getting fucking broke and it sucks being a celebrity. Everybody expects you to have money and I really don't have anything right now. So her selling that 25 percent of Kurt's royalties and all that stuff, you know, really shot her back in. Well, and, and I think there was a pretty big beef between her and Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic, too. Yeah. About the- yep. Imagine that. Absolutely. So, I mean, imagine, you know, you are in. That's like basically like if this show were to ever just skyrocket. And we're worth $500 million. Man. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Randy kicks it. And then. Why's it got to be me? <laughs> I was going to say, he'd be the least likely to kill himself. Man. And then Randy's wife gets everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, me and Mikey would be a little peeved on that. Love said about the $27 million, I know that's a lifetime of money to most people, but I'm a big girl. It's rock and roll. It's Nirvana money. I had to let it go. I make enough money to live on. I'm financially solvent. A focus on what I make now. Love says that the majority of lost millions went towards settling several lawsuits over the years, including a legal battle between Love and the surviving members of Nirvana okay. over the band's unreleased material and a Twitter defamation suit. She still rocks a net worth of around $100 million. Yeah, and Dave Grohl ain't doing too shabby. I, I checked no. his net worth. That's like $320 million as of right now. Yeah, Grohl's doing okay for himself. But yeah, that's all stuff that he's acquired since. Mm-hmm. You know, he yeah, I mean, Food Fighters made Food Fighters is massive. I wonder what, was it, Dave Chris Novoselic? Yeah, I think uh, he ended up being a politician up in Washington. He's really? Like, he's like yeah. a hardcore libertarian. It's yeah. crazy, yeah. Oh, wow. Good he for probably owns a bunch of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> But not everything Love does is insane and self-doting. In 1993, Love and Kurt Cobain performed an acoustic set together at the Rock Against Rape Benefit in Los Angeles, which raised awareness and provided resources for victims of sexual abuse. This is one of the rare instances that the two ever performed together. Yeah. Oh, okay. 93. Came together for a good cause. Yeah. Making awareness of rape. Hey, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a thing called rape. And I wrote a song called Rape Me. So uh, yes, yeah, 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 was on yeah. In utero. Oh. What what if they is it, if they covered that an acoustic version? <laughs> oh. Yeah, this one's going out to all the rape victims out there. I just want you to know that you're not alone. Rape, rape me. me. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty dark joke, but I don't, whatever. <laughs> and then he looks locks eyes with her. Rape, rape me, me, my friend. friend. 
Love has been a long-standing supporter of LGBT causes. She has frequently collaborated with the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center, taking part in the center's and Evening with Women events. The proceeds of the event help provide food and shelter for homeless youth, services for seniors, legal assistance, domestic violence services, health and mental health services, and cultural arts programs. Love participated with Linda Perry for an event in 2012 and performed alongside Amy Mann and comedian Wanda Sykes. Speaking on her collaboration in the event, Love said, 7,000 kids in Los Angeles a year ago out on the street and 40% of those kids are gay, lesbian, or transgendered. They come out to their parents and become homeless. For whatever reason, I don't really know why, but gay men have a lot of foundations. I've played many of them, but the lesbian side doesn't have as much money and or donors, so we're excited that this has grown to cover women and women's affairs. She's also contributed to AIDS organizations, partaking in benefits for AMFAR and the Red Campaign. In May 2011, she donated six of her husband Cobain's personal vinyl records for auction at Mariska Hargaday's Joyful Heart Foundation events for victims of child abuse, rape, and domestic violence. Mariska Hargaday is actually the daughter of Jane Mansfield, who's who, who we discussed oh, in the oh, Anton wow. LaVey episode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. that's right. All right, boys. That is Courtney Love. All right. So let's get some final scores and a little bit of a recap here. Okay. Um, so she's uh, the Yoko Ono of Generation X. A lot of people dislike her. Uh, she's fucking Forrest Gump. I think we've come to discover. Yeah, she really yeah. is. She is the female version of Forrest Gump. That's I think true. is what this show has told me. I know it's really like someone should probably do a fucking movie about her life. Just the, as weird as it is, and as much interaction she's had with just random. There'd be a lot of titties in it with all the strip clubs she worked in, just like yeah. side yeah. shots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that fuels the first half of the movie. Yeah. Who you would go. you guys cast? As I was Courtney just thinking Love? that. I you Gwyneth know, Paltrow maybe. I don't think. No, I can't see. Her I doubt she would take that role. No, no. Um, I don't know. Um, Jenny McCarthy, Rebel Wilson. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Um, but point being is that she's had a pretty interesting life. I feel like she gets a lot of hate naturally, hate, reflexively. Hate, hate, yeah, hate. just because like a lot of people think that she. Killed Kirk Cobain. Kirk Cobain. Well, Whether she's a hard person to like, too. Like, I yeah. mean, you listen to her, you look at her. I mean, it's just hard. It's just hard. Yeah, it's, she's screeching and, and obnoxious and stuff like that. Like, you wouldn't want to invite her into your home. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no, you wouldn't want to, like, go would, use the bathroom while she's visiting your home because you're afraid that she would probably steal, steal stuff. She'll steal stuff. Yeah. She'll you know clog I mean? your toilet. You know what I'm saying? She'll leave, like, the stove on. Or, and, yeah, I was <laughs> say you walk out and she's shooting up on your couch. Yeah. Like, God damn it. Really? Yeah. 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 I, I was gone for 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, and she's like, exactly. I've, I've already been high and sobered <laughs> up again. She's, but I don't, so, I mean, I started her off with a 5.0. I think the big thing that's going to get extra points added onto her is the uh you know shooting heroin while you're pregnant yeah um, that's pretty rough dude but see the the thing that we don't know is that you know did she continue to shoot heroin after she knew that she was pregnant well she well, says that she didn't but yeah let's but be let's real. look at the odds here yeah. you know the, the, the same woman that is that constantly she... like literally doing rohypnol <laughs> and heroin and smoking crack okay and you think she really thought like objectively was like you know what? <laughs> I should stop doing drugs because I'm pregnant. I doubt it. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I'm sorry. She's going to catch some points for that one for me, dude. Um, I don't, like, it's, I don't even have a hard time with people doing drugs and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's, you know, to me, it's a medical issue. You should seek help. But yeah, when you've got a kid and when you're pregnant, you don't want to be yeah, doing that. Absolutely. Um, but I think her uh, call out on uh, Harvey Weinstein was clutch. I think she's, like I said, she does some good work with, like, you know, 
LGBT stuff. But I don't know. I'm going to bump her up just to 5.5 just for the the heroin thing, even with the sort of giving her somewhat of the benefit of the doubt that maybe she didn't. But I'm pretty sure she did. Yeah. So I'll go 5.5. All right. And I originally had her at a 5.25. You know, uh, from everything that we heard today, I don't really see a lot that makes her a genuine asshole. You know, I think that she I think a lot of this stems from her childhood and had she just had a decent mother and father that were in place and loving and there for her and present all the time, yeah. that a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened. But then again, she wouldn't have turned out to be the person that she ended up being. That's right. Um, she wouldn't have been the female embodiment of Forrest Gump. Yeah. She um, might end up being like a therapist, like her sister. <laughs> like the uh, like her other four yeah. siblings, you know, could have turned out normal. You know, I did see in the documentary with her when... She was talking about how she needed to sell a little bit of Kurt's back catalog in order to get some more money. She was like, I do feel good about being able to help my friend with cancer in this. I do feel good about being able to take care of Kurt's mother. Apparently, according to her, she was still taking care of Kurt's mother. I mean, even still into 2005. Yeah, Wendy. Um, so, you know, I mean, like, I, I assuming that that all wasn't for the camera and that that's actually true, mm-hmm. you know, I do give her points for that. One of the things that I did notice about her when she was talking a lot in the documentary is that she was rocking back and forth a lot in there. She's jacked to the tits, bro. That's right. <laughs> but she was yeah. sober. That was actually, she was getting, it was after all of the uh, court hearings and stuff. This was like during like the three to four month period of her having to be sober. She was getting drug tested all the time. And when she was on the uh, Larry Flint movie, she was forced to take drug tests consistently. Right. Yeah, and she, she was passed all of them. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she passed all these tests and that was also contention of her being able to keep Francis, that had to be hard you know you know what i mean like that hardcore of a drug addict oh, she yeah. was still able to take a couple of prescriptions she was taking something for uh depression and was also taking something to help her sleep mm-hmm. as well so i mean hypnol <laughs> <laughs> so and this was like right as she was uh putting out one of her albums in 2005 um so you know i i'm a little bit torn I think that we're looking more at really the life of an addict more so than the life of an asshole. Mm -hmm. And so I think I actually feel pretty good with my original pre-show asshole score with her. And I'm going to leave her at a 5.25. Okay. Okay. And honestly, buddy, I echo a lot of your sentiments in that her actions, you know, a lot of it was drug fueled. It sounded like, right. Yeah. Acting like a fucking fool. There was one story I read about her throwing shoes at Madonna um, pretty during a, uh, it was like a MTV Music Awards. Oh, or something I saw like that. that. I remember that. Yeah. It was that like before the VMAs. Madonna was talking with Kurt Loder, and she was throwing her shoes up there. Yeah, yeah, Which I yeah. Thought okay. it was just kind of a funny. Oh yeah, and they invited her up, and she was like falling all over the place. Again, I don't think it was so much that she was an asshole, but she was fucked up yeah. for like yeah. a fucking decade. It seemed yeah. like you know I mean, what I mean. She probably thought two that shit, or three almost. Yeah, yeah she know? thought that shit was like legitimately funny, right? And everyone was like, "You're so fucking yeah, annoying." Yeah. And they were like, "God damn it, get rid of this chick," right? But yeah, as far as like being an asshole, again, there's a big difference between being a drug addict and being an asshole. Right. It, unfortunately, a lot of time, if you are a drug addict, you're an asshole to your family and your yeah. friends. Yeah, and the people that matter the most. That's right. You kind of cut them off and. You know, all the shit that yeah all the shit that we kind of talked about again i don't know if it makes her like a bad person i don't think it does you yeah know i mean I, like how many times did we hear like i mean of those like grunge shows back in the day of a mic stand going out into the crowd or mm-hmm. something like that or like really grunge fans acting like assholes oh yeah and they would, the performer finally just getting over it oh and yeah reacting or you hear so many times like somebody will crowd surf and people in the crowd holding you up are 
grabbing your dick or pinching her titties or whatever yeah, the case. Not pinching her dick, but um, <laughs> you know, just being think. fucking assholes in general. So, long story short, um, I too am going to stick with my original score of a five point seven five. Okay. Three or four is a normal person. She ain't normal, but she's not, you know, a terrible person. I feel right, like. Right. She's less than an asshole of Steven Seagal, apparently, who we gave a 6.0 to. So. Well, Steven Seagal is Steven uh, Seagal. allegedly a rapist. Yes, yeah, this so is true. I yeah. will think in fact, that. I, I think, we, I think we scored him a little lower than we should have, <laughs> considering everything. Well, that's uh, we've had a full year's worth of show since that's Steven Seagal. True. True. So. so, with a 5.75 from Randy, a 5.5 from Mikey, and a 5.25 from Buddy, Courtney Love's final asshole score is a 5.5. There you go. There right. you have it. All right, we hope you guys enjoy the show. As we talked about earlier, our social media accounts are on and popping now. We've got all kinds of snippets from shows, interaction with our audience, and in general, just a better place to get your asshole court fix. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at AHC Podcast. Treat each other well, have a great week, and we'll see you next time on Asshole Court. <laughs>